So good to be with you guys. And um, what a treat, eh? After a long time of not being able to gather. Um, I don't know if you know this, but one of the last times you guys did gather, it was the last time I had the privilege of preaching. I remember a few people making a few remarks about the thing that was happening out there, and everyone was taking it too seriously. Little did we know the storm on the horizon. My goodness. We got... Um, we got uh, Take it. We got <laughs> sabotaged by that one. So it's so exciting to be here. And um, five children, Julie and I bring, and it's so lovely to see them just having such a blast. And one of the cool things about having five kids is, uh, for a lot of families, lockdown was quite a uh, isolating, alienating experience. Not for us. <laughs> we had a whole community. Like Julie and I were like, "How do we get out of this place?" And. Uh, in fact, I actually, my favorite thing is I found out one place where they sold coffee. It was probably illegal, but, and uh, I would climb in my car, and I'd just drive through the, the area, just like winding slowly, looking out the window, and then my mask. I tried to reach down to get it while I was driving, and um, it got hooked, and I pulled at this thing, and by the time I got it up, I had, I'm driving like 30 k's an hour in a residential area in Constantia. I'd, rode off the road into a wall, knocked the wall over, my car got stuck on this wall, and the car was a complete write-off, it buckled the chassis, I stood there, like rang a few doorbells, nobody came out, I mean I live in Constantia, they're like, did you hear that bang, like don't go out there, something bad happened out there, I'm like, stood there for an hour, and eventually I I walked home, (laughs) it was such a strange experience, it really was like a, a weird apocalypse, eh? But look at us, here we are, and during the singing, you could feel there's a cloud break happening this camp, eh? You could feel it. Um, sometimes you've got to break in, you know, other times it's right here, right now. And um, there's, you know, you draw close to God and He draws close to you. But sometimes you, uh, you, you draw close for three seconds and you're in, other times you've got to do a little bit more pushing. This is a three-second drawing in, and it just seems like God's sitting on the edge of his seat going, I really want to meet with you. The verse in my mind was, times of refreshing. This is going to be a time of refreshing. And uh, the theme uh, that I'm going to do input on tonight and tomorrow morning, two sessions tomorrow morning, is on Scripture. On Scripture. But I I can't help (coughs) getting us excited not only about Scripture, but also the Holy Spirit. Julie and I were praying, and she said, Taryn, word and spirit, that's what she feels in God. So I'll just, you know, keep referencing the fact that the early church was, was, had the, the Old Testament, and they had the Holy Spirit, and then after a few decades, they got the New Testament. But before they got the New Testament, they got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and the Bible doesn't replace the Holy Spirit. The Bible comes, you know, th- these, are, these are the great gifts given to, to the church. And uh, thankfully, we don't have to choose between the Spirit and the Scriptures. Some sections of the church feel like, okay, once the New Testament was handed out to people, okay, you don't need the Holy Spirit anymore, which I think is a mistake, unless you just want to be dry and intellectual for the rest of your life. But if you want something of the flowing rivers of of the Spirit, uh, you know, God's Spirit being poured out in all flesh, being part of what God is doing. And then I remind you that in the last hundred years, we've seen the section of the church on planet earth growing by, f- by far the fastest. It's the sector of the church that, in a sense, discovered the outpouring of the Spirit. 
talking about the Azusa Street Revival, the birth of Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism has outstripped every section of the church, like just so quadraphonically. I mean, it's exploding. And, uh, and uh, there's something to be said about what the Spirit of God is doing in churches that have been open to the Spirit, it, as, as long as you keep focused on mission as well. Unfortunately, there have been sections of the church that got so excited about pursuing spiritual experiences, they forgot that actually we, we also got the Great Commission, which means the Spirit is given to us for the purpose of mission, as well as for the joy of knowing God. But um, uh, So as long as we keep our mind on the Great Commission and, and the Holy Spirit, but how cool it would be if God really gets hold of us, refreshes us, invigorates us, uh, and, and we walk away from this camp prizing the Bible, prizing the Holy Spirit, depending on the Bible, depending on the Holy Spirit, and equipped for the, the purpose, you know, fit for a purpose, like you were saying, Julie. Um, so that's what I'm feeling. I'm guessing that's pretty standard <laughs> priorities for any church. So I'm not like, out there with, these, with my predictions here. Um, but let me speak about... Uh, the simple idea that our attitude is always important. Our attitude is always important. And whatever you come to an experience or a person or a conversation, the attitude you take in affects the dynamism of, of what happens there, the outcome. Um, Eli is brilliant at maths, okay? He's our oldest kid. And, uh, and uh, he was basically wanted to, he, he had been accepted by a very fancy school, which he's not going to after all. And another school which he really wanted to go to, but the school that I actually hoped, not Julian and Eli, that he would go to was Westerford in southern suburbs Cape Town. And uh, so he gets interviewed by the headmaster. He's definitely going to get in. I mean, he's top art, top maths. I mean, Westerford's both those things. And he doesn't get into Westerford. So I was like, Eli, tell me about this interview you had with the headmaster. So he said, Joe, the, the guy said, yeah, where are we in your, your list of um, preference? And, you know. And he said, you're number three. <laughs> the attitude we take into something determines the outcome. And I think there's a way of being with the Bible and with the Holy Spirit and saying, hey, you're number three. That means just less is going to go down in your life than if we realize that he's number one. He's number one. We need to come to the scriptures with a soft heart, a soft heart. And it's possible that once your heart was soft, but over time disappointing experiences, just the passing of time, your heart gets hard. And uh, the Old Testament prophets were not received in their day. Their audience, we're told, made their hearts as hard as flint uh, so that they would not listen to the words of the Lord Almighty. And this made the Lord Almighty angry. I'm summarizing the Old Testament prophets here. I mean, Ezekiel, having preached until he was blue in his face, you know, even tried these object lessons. He lay down on his side. He cooked food with his own excrement, gathered a crowd, and then cut his hair off. And he, and he used this to just, like, you know, try to get his message across. They still wouldn't listen. I mean, he just couldn't get through to these people. Jesus experienced something similar with the religious leaders in his day. He said, why do you not understand what I say? And he answers, it's because you cannot bear to hear my words. And then, of course, the famous parable of the sower. Uh, God sows the seed of his word on different soils or states of the heart. Some seed lands on the hard ground of a closed minds. And these people, uh, through maybe being proud or deceived, think they've got nothing to learn. So, you know, birds snatch it away. And, and then some people, some people, the seed lands on shallow soil. These people uh, don't receive 
the word as God's word, maybe just a little bit of inspiration. So the moment there's a little bit of a challenge in their life, it disappears. And then other people are like thorny ground. They receive the word of God as the word of God, but they don't place it above all the other voices. They just place it alongside all of the priorities in their lives. You're number three. And given enough time, it doesn't bear any fruit. I mean, they're just crowded out by, Luke chapter 8 says, by life's worries, by the deceitfulness of wealth. And there's a third one, the pleasure of something, eh, the thing, and the pleasures of this world or something. I mean, and I suspect that 80% of Christians in the Western world uh, are, are that third kind of soil. We've taken, we believe it's the Word of God, but we put it alongside other things, and it's crowded out in our lives. You're number three. You're number three. And then, of course, some seeds lands on fertile soil. These people humbly receive the words of God. They place them above all the other voices, and Jesus says, the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the Word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And then there's that talk of like, 60, 100 times fruitful. I mean, like, since I was young, I was like, oh, cool. God could use my life disproportionately to who I am. I still pray it. I still pray it. You know, just let me be that good soil, that, 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 that heart that takes the, the seed and, 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 and it, it bears the fruit. But, but then Jesus' point is that what God says is not the only important thing because the same word comes to all four soils. His point is that how we listen plays a crucial part. It deeply impacts our lives and transforms us. God's word itself is good seed. I mean, it contains the catalytic power to change our lives, but it, it tends to need a receptive heart to produce a harvest. And, then, and that's why Jesus, straight after the parable of the four soils, he says, Consider carefully how you listen. Attitude. What attitude did you, did you bring to it? And whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. And he's suggesting that there is a way of having a heart that, that responds to God's word in the right way. Again and again. And there's this compounding interest. So that what you've got multiplies. It's the revelation stacked upon revelation. And, um, and I want to, in the rest of my short time with you tonight, uh, tell you what the Bible says about this right heart that we meant to bring to the Word. So when we're reading the Bible, somebody else is reading it to us, or when we're hearing a sermon, whenever we're encountering God's Word, uh, what's your heart like in, the, in that moment? And uh, I'm going to tell you four things that I found in my study of Scripture that, that, that speaks about the right kind of soil that can take the seed and, you know, it can bear the fruit 60, 100 fold. And, uh, and, and then I want to say that it's not that what I'm going to describe, it's not just, you don't just bring this to the Bible. I've realized that it, it works perfectly on the Holy Spirit too. So everything I'm speaking about, the right heart to respond to this, the Word of God, it's, it's precisely what's needed in response to the Holy Spirit. See if I'm right as we go along. So, so the first thing, I've got four points for you. Number one, come with humility. Come with humility. Since God's word is a life-giving seed, we should eagerly uh, open up the fields of our life and heart to whatever the sower might sow into them. And James chapter 1 says, humbly accepting the word planted in us which can save us. So 
So it's a seed. We are meant to humbly accept that seed. And uh, we also rely on the Holy Spirit who inspires and uses the word as rain to activate those seeds. Isaiah uh, speaks about watering, how the word of God waters the earth and makes it bud and flourish. So the word is the seed plus the rain on the seed. So keep in mind that humility, according to the scriptures, is not automatic. Uh, Again and again, the Bible says, you know, humble yourself. Um, When we forget to humble ourselves, not a problem, you will be humiliated. Okay, you're going to land at the same place. Question is, do you want to be in the, behind the steering wheel or do you want to roll the car? If we don't humble ourselves, we will be humiliated. And uh, the amount of times the Bible speaks about humbling yourself, and certainly if you read the devotional literature of the saints of 2,000 years now, they pretty much agree that, that humility is kind of like the act of pulling out of the weed of pride. Humility is the battle against pride. And, and uh, I've got a garden. I suck at being a gardener because the weeds, like they're, you know, my neighbors, they've got no weeds. We've got weeds. But I still pull those things out. I'm trying. I could do better. And, and I wonder uh, when it comes to the, the sprouting of pride in my life, if I could do better, if I could, could be pulling out the pride, pulling out the pride. Living in our culture doesn't help us at all. I mean, we live in a culture of self-sovereignty. If you track the philosophical development of the world since the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, we now live in the age of the sovereignty of the self, where people pretty much believe that, that nobody should be allowed to infringe on our freedom to determine who we are, what we should value, or how we shall live. I mean, it's death for somebody to try to tell you who you are. No, you define yourself, or it's death for somebody to tell you how you should live. How dare they? I mean, that's, that's, that's pride. That's pride. I mean, you, you just open the Bible. You just one sentence into the Bible, and you're dethroned. In the beginning, Terran. No, no, it doesn't say that. In the beginning, God. Mind you, I can't find my name anyway, anywhere in here. So we... We humble ourselves, and that's why we're not over the word, we're under the word. When we think of Ezra, who who read and preached the word to the people from a high wooden platform. I've gone to some Dutch reformed churches where they're like, yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta walk up the circular staircase to be up there. And and that's been maybe gone wrong because now we think that the preacher is above the people or the sermon is above the people. But the idea was always that the word is above us. We're under the word. And I think that we can come to the Bible with a little bit, we're over it. We're, you know, we're ready to pick the mistakes that we think we're spotting and we feel a liberty to, 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 to interpret it in the way that we prefer. And, I, you know, how do we bring a humble attitude to the word of God? Um, I, I, I haven't been into this, although it might look like it with, um, by the way, if you think I'm like hip, I, um, not this hip. I, I, climb, I had a shower and I climbed into it. My leg, my leg came through here. So it, was, it used to be a small little one. And, now it's a, and this happened just like a few hours ago. And I don't have another pair of pants. I was like, I shouldn't have told you. Huh? I should have just gone with it. When I was sitting down, it's like your knees out. Like. 
Where was I? Oh, kneeling. <laughs> a lot of people have actually said, and when we read the Bible, we read it on our knees. It's kind of like a postural reminder. We, we are humble in the face of God's Word. We're humble in the face of God's Word. And we're humble before the Holy Spirit too. So that's the first thing. Come, come with humility. Secondly, come with thirst and hunger. Come with thirst and hunger. So our dependency on Scripture is the corollary to our dependence on God, God Himself. Our soul's reliance on God is likened to our body's reliance on food and drink. So Psalm 23, you've got the heavenly shepherd, and he's taking you to quiet waters and, you know, and, 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 and green pasture, and he prepares a table of delights before us, and he fills our cup with overflowing. And then uh, one of the ways God delivers this water and feast is by giving us His Word. I mean, Psalm 1 says that His Word is like life-giving liquid to a a riverside tree. And then you've got Job saying, I treasure the words of His mouth more than my daily bread. So there's this hunger and thirst for the Word of God, for the Word of God. And this hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit. I forget who said it, um, but... uh, whoever this guy was, whose name obeys me, he said, we never have more of God than we want. I mean, it's just, and yeah, speaking about the experience of the Spirit. You know, you might, God, of course, He can surprise you. Of course, the Spirit can come upon you when you didn't expect it, but but on average, as the years tick on, probably you're not going to have more of an experience of God than you actually really yearned for. The, the, hungering and thirsting is really important in the, in the scheme. And I love some of the songs we were singing. They were helping me express this hunger and this thirst. Though we may not always be aware of our thirst and hunger, it says we drink and eat that we discover both our appetite for God and His ability to satisfy us. George Muller, a Christian leader who centuries ago started uh, many orphanages, used to say that the priority task of the Christ follower every day is to get one's soul happy in God. <clears throat> it's not like, did you read your Bible today? Did you pray your prayers? Like, no, did you get yourself happy in God? And, um, and then, then, he, then he said this, yet we know that, the, that this doesn't necessarily meet, lead to immediate joy. He said this, it's common for us to give up the reading of the Bible when our enjoyment of it is gone as if it were of no use to read the Scriptures when we do not enjoy them. The truth is that to enjoy the Word, we ought to continue to read it. Because the less we read the Word of God, the less we desire to read it. And the more we read the Word of God, the more we desire to read it. Joy waits for those who live in the Word. And then you've got that beautiful metaphor of the Old Testament, the Bible being like that daily manna, coming out the sky. I always picture cornflakes falling on the ground, <laughs> but apparently it was like a wafers made with honey. And, uh, and notice, even, even in that story, it didn't, didn't fall in their mouth while they were lying in bed. It's, you know, they actually get up, it's your turn, you had to go out there and scoop up manna. And uh, there's something to be said about like actually getting up out of your bed to read the Bible, or at least sitting up in your bed, and uh, going and getting it, and then chewing on it, and then swallowing it. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit, we trust, will metabolize it into the nutrients that we need for energy of a changed life. But again, hunger and thirst. So, so come with humility. Come with hunger and thirst. And then number, number three, come 
ready to yield. Come ready to yield. <laughs> Come ready to yield. And um, I'm trying to think what yield is. Well, I'll tell you what yield isn't. Like when you've got a kid, you say come, and they go, that's not yielding. Come, it's like, okay, yielding. So it's this, this, it's this attentive cooperation. It's this surrender. It's this letting, letting God be God in our lives, letting God's word do in our lives whatever it, it must do, um, letting it call forth something out of us, letting, us, letting it rebuke us, letting it prune us. It, and so in other words, just let God's word do in your life whatever it wants to do. And of course, this starts with acknowledging whose word it is. It's not the word of people, but it's the word of God. Jesus said this. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So he's busy teaching. He says, and I can see your faces. Some of you are wondering, like, is this guy just talking rubbish or is God speaking through him? So he says, well, you know, I can tell you who's going to figure out what. If you, he says this, if you choose to do the will of God, if you're a person saying, God, what, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do, you'll realize that I'm speaking God's word. But if you go, oh, God, no, <laughs> you, you're going to go, nah, this guy's talking rubbish. I, I almost imagine that, you know, somebody comes to you and then they, they, they start asking something, hey, would you? And you go, yes, but I haven't finished yet. Yes, whatever, carry on. Um, that's, what, that's what Jesus is speaking about. It's this yieldedness, it's this, it's this pre-commitment to yield. It's like, yes, before you ask me. Yes, before you make the promises. Whatever you say, yes. Um, I mean, that's the opposite of a hard heart, surely. Eh? God calls us to yield with a prayer of surrender. Then we'll see the light in God's word and experience it as this sin-removing surgical blade and the soul-healing medicine and uh, it first removing from us what impedes our spiritual health and making us better than you. And I think we've got to f find our own way of praying it. Like maybe, God, show me in your word the person you want me to become. Search my heart. Remove what is offensive to you. I'm, I'm paraphrasing Psalm 139 here. See, that kind of prayer puts us in a place of yieldedness. God, whatever you want me to do, yes. Now, I wonder if, if we were to do an experiment the next day or two. Like whatever you say, yes. Before he tells you. Before he shows you. Um, and, and, and then, according to Jesus, we'll, we'll start discerning a lot more messages from God than we currently do. So, so what do we got at the moment? We first got uh, come with humility. And secondly, come with hunger and thirst. Okay, number, number three. Oh, sorry, in the third one I just said, come with yieldedness, come ready to yield. And then number four, come with expectancy. Come with expectancy. When Jesus was walking on earth as Emmanuel, God with us, I mean, everywhere he went, crowds would flock to him. And this kind of faithful expectancy seemed to unlock his miracle, wonder-working power. But also, you, you read like Mark chapter 6, and you see where there is a lack of faith, that the opposite happens. We're told that he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. In fact, the, the highlight reel of the Gospels shows these expectant people, time and again, receiving uh, Jesus' life-changing word, or his body-healing touch, or his situation-invading light, or his direction-altering nudge. But think about it. If Jesus is the same 
yesterday, today, and forever, and I'm quoting a verse that says as much, then, although we don't encounter him in the flesh anymore, we're still encountering encounter him in the word and in and the spirit. He's still the same. And, and then maybe the question still comes to us. Do you believe? What do you expect? And, and then maybe, maybe as we encounter the word and the spirit, um, th- that, if we, that if we're expectant, it's like a tap. We, 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 we're open to the flow of God's power, whereas if we're not expectant, uh, maybe we, the tap is a little bit shut. And we, we don't even realize it, but we're blocking some of the flow of God's power through the Word, through the Spirit into our lives. I'm not saying that this kind of expectancy and power will flow each and every time we read the Bible. But overall, I'm talking about months and years now, our interaction with God in prayer and, and in the Word will either be marked by this kind of strangling familiarity or on-your-toes wonder. Or either this jaded unbelief or this childlike faith. And remember, when it comes to the Bible, we don't merely come to a book. We come to its author. Unlike any other book, we read the Word in the presence of its author. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. I live on books. I read books all the time. But I'm far away from the author. The author is usually oblivious to the fact that I'm reading their book. Not the Bible. The Bible's different. And I'm not saying that there'll be, that there'll be fireworks every time we read the Bible. <laughs> you know, but there's something to be said about the fact that we're meeting with the universe's creator and redeemer. That means that every one of these interactions with the Bible and with the Holy Spirit can never be just another meeting. We, we, we don't just read the Bible because it's the right thing to do, you know. It's like, you know, a date night, if you're married, or is pretty important, but you could potentially do it in a dutiful way where you've forgotten the purpose is actually to delight in each other, to delight in each other. Okay, let me pull it together. The Bible, you're going to read it, you're going to hear it preached, you're going to encounter it, and either your heart's going to be hard, or it's going to be humble, hungry, thirsty, Yielded, expected, and that's going to make all the difference. And same with the Holy Spirit. Um, humble, yielded, hungry, thirsty, expectant. And, and then Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, he says, he says that, that, that what we have of him will be multiplied. Like I was saying, this kind of compounding you know, revelation upon revelation. And um, I've truly been amazed to see some people that really do live in that upward vortex of the Word and the Spirit, the Word and the Spirit, and uh, there have been times in my life where I felt I got caught in it, but um, I wonder how much more of my life I could live in it if I attended to the, the state of heart that I bring to my interactions with God. So I'm trying to inspire us. I'm also nervous that maybe some of you, instead of being motivated, are a little bit like overwhelmed, like I've got no hunger in my heart. Humility, I don't know if that's there. My wife doesn't think it's there, um, you know. And, uh, and, and, then, and then I don't want to discourage you. Maybe I want to remind you of that little boy with the few fishes and the loaves. Bring what you have, however meager it is. Bring your little hunger. Bring your little faith, your small expectations to God and His Word. Do it again and again and again every time you approach the Scriptures. And who knows? <laughs> who knows what He does with it?
Why don't we pray? Jesus, thank you for your word that's come to us uh, in the prophets, in the apostles, in your son, in the scriptures, in the whispers of your spirit. And uh, God, this weekend we want to steep ourselves in the word, this, both the written word and the spoken word and the prophesied word and the whispered word. And God, we want to bring hearts that are humble and hungry and thirsty and yielded and expectant, God. And we pray you would do what only you can do. Come and be God at this camp. <laughs> Come and be God in our lives. Show your goodness. Show your greatness. Amen.